0: Herzog's work often explores people in extreme situations and a blurring of the lines between civilization, modern man, and the natural world, the wild. Uh, His movies often blur the line between fact and fiction. He makes documentaries that uh, are heavily fictionalized, and he makes fictional movies that are rooted in experiences and settings and difficulties that are very much real. Uh, the example that you know most strongly comes to mind for that is the the making of the movie Fitzcarraldo. Fitzcarraldo is this guy who's trying to haul a three hundred twenty two ton steamship over a mountain in the Peruvian jungle, and it's like this impossible task. Uh, it's an absurd project in the movie, and it's basically uh, was an absurd project in real life because uh, Herzog actually tried to haul this ship through the jungle as part of the filming. Of this movie, famously, uh, that the filming of that movie was very difficult, very troubled. Uh, the characters really did live in the jungle. Many people really did get injured, and they battle the elements and even uh, hostile natives at times. Two other uh, Herzog movies that come to mind for the impression they've left on me over the years. Uh, one is Lessons of Darkness. Lessons of Darkness is just footage, uh, minimal, sparse narration on top. Um, of the aftermath of the first Iraq War uh, when America bombed Kuwait. And in the aftermath of the first Iraq War, all these oil fields from Kuwait were on fire. And it was a tremendous project, an incredibly challenging project to put out those fires. These are these massive infernos, like tornadoes of flame spouting out from the earth. And Herzog went there and just filmed. And he filmed uh, what that looked like, what that world was now this bombed-out, fiery place straight out of Dante's Inferno. And he presented that footage in a way which was totally decontextualized. So there was some sparse narration, but it had nothing to do with the Iraq War. Um, He was presenting this as is, just a world in and of itself, out of time, uh, out of place, um, just uh, images that people have never seen before. And the last Herzog movie that uh, I think about a lot, I think it must be one of his more widely viewed movies. Grizzly Man is a documentary about this character named Timothy Tradwell. And he's sort of like a lost young man. And Tradwell goes to live in Alaska with grizzly bears. And he does this for many years. And he films himself living with the grizzly bears. And again, there's this violation sort of of the border between um, man and, and natural world. There's this uh, a person who's retreated, really retreated from civilization, retreated from people, going to live with the grizzly bears. There's uh, a deep passion project, which is totally absurd um, in its execution and in its uh, essence. And uh, ultimately, this, this Timothy Tradwell, he, he films himself over many years living with the grizzly bears, and uh, sadly, he ends up filming his own demise. Uh, at the hands of the grizzly bears. It's not video footage of that, but there's audio footage. So that's the work of Werner Herzog. Herzog's recent book, The Twilight World, I think picks up on a lot of these same threads, a lot of these same themes. The Twilight World tells the story of a character of a man named Hero Onoda, a real person, a person who really lived, a person who Herzog met um, as part of this project. Uh, Onoda was a soldier in the Imperial Japanese Army, fighting in World War II, and he was tasked with defending an island, a Filipino island, which had strategic importance for the Japanese at the time, towards the end of World War II, and he was given this mission, and he carried on this mission until the Japanese surrender in August 1945, and he continued to carry on this mission for many years, uh, a total of 29 years afterwards until he finally surrendered and laid down his arms in 1974. And so it's such a fascinating story, such a fascinating character, very romantic and strange and absurd, Herzogian in its nature. And of course, this is Werner Herzog uh, writing a book instead of working through his uh, medium of film, which, which we're most familiar with. And so I was very excited to read this book, and I can tell you that I thought it was Absolutely stunning and gorgeous. The story is woven together through multiple different threads. It's framed by uh, Herzog meeting Onoda in real life. Um, it's framed by this kid backpacking um, in in the Philippines in search of Hero Onoda in 1974 and finding him and then finally bringing his commanding officer to the island uh, to formally uh, request that he uh, surrender his arms. And woven together is... Uh, Episodes of Hero Anada's experience when he's initially tasked with guarding the island by his superior officer, um, and time over that, over those decades where he's living on the island and defending the island, until he's eventually relieved of his duties. Towards the beginning of the book, we get the episode where Onada's with two other fellow soldiers, on the island, and they notice an airplane flying overhead dropping leaflets and uh, one of the fellow soldiers goes and he tracks down one of the leaflets to read what it says, and it says that uh, the war's over, and that all Japanese uh, soldiers should lay down their arms and return whatever to the base. Uh, But Haro is uh, very uh, suspicious. He noticed that there's like a misspelling on the leaflet. Uh, Some of the the grammar is not exactly precise. Also, I think there's no mention of who won the war, and so uh, he's convinced it's a uh, like, psychological disinformation operation, and he doesn't trust the leaflet. And he asks his fellow soldiers, you know, what do you want to do? And they say, yeah, we'll stay with you. If you don't trust the, that the war's over and you want to continue fighting, then we'll, we'll stay fighting with you. And that's the point, of course, the turning point when uh, Hero Onada makes his resolve and stance to continue fighting uh, from now indefinitely forward. And Herzog characterizes this decision. He characterizes this event this story. And in doing so, I think he's characterizing a lot of his work in general, um, a lot of the kind of themes and, and images and motifs that he is attracted to. And, and I think he talks about in this excerpt sort of uh, what attracts him, him to these things and what he sees in these kinds of stories. Um, so, quote, at this point, incidentally, a new phenomenon begins a sort of constant, unobtrusive companionship, a natural dream sibling equipped with all the unquestioning certainty of dreams, a shapeless time of noctambulism, even though things carry on as before, immediate, palpable, ghastly, undeniable in their imperiousness, the jungle, the swamp, the leeches, the mosquitoes, the screams of the birds, thirst, the bumpy, itching skin, The dream has its own time frame. It races forward and back. It sticks, stops dead, holds its breath, jumps ahead like a frightened deer. A night bird shrieks and a year passes. A fat drop of water on the waxy leaf of a banana plant glistens briefly in the sun and another year is gone. A column of millions and millions of ants arrives overnight and marches through the trees with no beginning or end. The column marches for days and days, and then one day is mysteriously and suddenly gone, and that is another year. Then one single watch, under withering enemy fire, and the night seems to go on forever and ever, only the abrupt flares of tracer bullets, while day refuses to break, even though you look at your watch and see the hands moving and see the whole of the night sky wheeling around the north star. They will not, and will not, and will not arrive. Time outside their lives seems to have the quality of a spasm, even though it can't shake the imperturbable universe. Onoda's war is of no meaning for the cosmos, for history, for the course of the war. Onoda's war is formed from the union of an imaginary nothing and a dream. But Onoda's war, sired by nothing, is nevertheless overwhelming, an event extorted from eternity," end quote. In addition to narrating the events uh, of Onoda's experience, Herzog inhabits the mind and the experience and the perspective of Onoda directly, and he imagines what he feels and what he dreams. And so, an example of this uh, a little later in the book, quote, Sometimes, says Onoda, it feels to me that there is something about these weapons that takes them out of human control. Do they have a life of their own as soon as they are devised? And doesn't war seem to have a life of its own too? Does war dream of war? And then, after a long mulling over such thoughts, Onoda says something he rarely says, as though the idea were a piece of metal brought to white heat in the fire. Is it possible that I am dreaming this war? Could it be that I'm wounded in some hospital and will finally come out of a coma years later and someone will tell me it was all a dream? Is the jungle, the rain, everything here a dream? Is Lubang nothing but a fantasy that exists only on old mariner's charts along with sea monsters and humans with the heads of dragons and dogs? End quote. The book is infused with a deep realism. I think Herzog understands, as only some people do, what it's really like to be embedded in that environment for a long period of time, uh, to be fighting against the elements, um, the, the slow rotting and decay uh, that's precipitated by the moss and the humidity and the fungus and, and the bugs in and nature. And all that is brought to life um, incredibly well one very, uh, remarkable scene later in the book. Uh, this takes place in 1972. So really towards the end of his, uh, time living in the jungle, we were, we're given the following, the following experience, the following scene. So quote, a campfire, crickets, mosquitoes, rain and rain. Onoda is feeling meditative. He breaks off mussels from the rocks on the stony West coast. He lights a fire in the manner of the loggers. He leaves no trace behind He thinks he has been forgotten. But one day, he sees some men below look-overlook. One of them is carrying a loudspeaker on his back like a rucksack. His face is obscured from sight as he walks down the hill. The voice calls out in Japanese. This is your brother. This is your brother. I am your brother, Toishi. Onoda goes rigid. Hero, my brother calls the voice. Listen to me. Onoda seems without emotion. His inside is stone. The unimaginable cannot be. My brother, my brother, come out wherever you are. Come out, come out. The voice recedes into the distance. can hardly be heard. Onoda strains everything in himself to follow it. I will sing a song now, calls the distant voice. Hero, my brother, do you remember the song we used to sing at cherry blossom time? Onoda just catches the opening bar of the song. Thereafter, the jungle draws the voice into itself. See the falling blossoms. They are the souls of the dead. They sail through the air. What was that? Was that actually his brother, or some hazy chimera? Onoda is unable to account for the event in the structures of his beliefs. He is forced to live with the contradiction. In case it truly was his brother, why does he hear the voice for weeks and all over the island? The answer draws him in ever more powerfully. If that was his brother, out with a search party, then he was letting him know, so to speak, in a secret code, that the men were actually tasked with exploring every nook and cranny of Lubang to make a detailed topographical survey for improved maps to facilitate the imminent reconquest of the island by the imperial army. Truth comes with hidden codes, or else the codes are unpredictably enriched with reality, like the veins of ore and rock. End quote. The last piece I want to share um, is just how Herzog ends the book and uh, it ends with Herzog describing his encounter with Onoda and uh, he's describing their their conversation together here. So, quote, After the visit to the shrine, we conversed in the park until nightfall. And then this is Herzog explaining, sort of summing up their time together, his uh, impressions of Onoda Was he then a sleepwalker, or was now the present something he had dreamed? He often racked his mind about the question on Lubang. There was no proof that when awake, he was awake, and no proof that when dreaming, he was dreaming. The twilight of the world. Ants, when they stop, for some reason we don't understand, move their antennae. They have second sight. Crickets scream at the cosmos. Among the terrors of night was a horse with glowing eyes, smoking cigars. A saint left a deep imprint on the rock on which he slept. Elephants at night dream standing up. Fever dreams trundle the rock of night up the angry, boiling mountains. The jungle bends and stretches like caterpillars walking uphill and down. The heron, when cornered, will attack the eyes of its pursuers. A crocodile ate a countess. The dead, when turned away from the sun, can be buried standing up. Three men on a horse. The saddle remains empty. The net of the sleeping fisherman continues to catch fish. A man who walks backward should also talk backward. Onoda backward is Adono. The heart of a hummingbird beats 20 times a second, 1,200 times a minute. The silent Indios in the Mato Grosso de Sol, believe they are alive twice. It is only among his cattle in the Mato Grosso that Onoda feels secure. His heart beats with their hearts. His breath comes and goes with theirs. When he is with them, he knows he is where he is. The night is over, and the swarms of fish know nothing.